Hi, we're back. We've brought Why You Should Care back. This episode is brought to you by no one. Actually, it's brought to you by Umina Legal Group, my law firm. We do a lot of business law, political consulting, personal injury, estate planning. Slight warning for this show. There is some math, so be prepared. Time for the show. Welcome to the new season of Why You Should Care. Every episode, we take a look at local issues, and hopefully by the end, you'll know why you should care and what you should do about it. I'm your host, Obi Umana. I'm a lawyer and political consultant born right here in Jacksonville, Florida, and my firm provides political consulting for local and statewide candidates. Currently, we've provided services for several elected officials and issue campaigns and referendums. I was just recently a senior advisor for Nikki Free for governor, as well as a consultant for Tracy Davis winning state Senate campaign. I work for Joe Biden in an area that has turned Jacksonville blue twice. Local politics is my business, but what if it isn't? This podcast is designed for you. One last housekeeping item. I'm not a journalist. I'm a political consultant who normally works for Democratic candidates. This podcast may have some bias, so do your own research. But please, please, you'll probably see that I was right. And don't bother me about being biased. This week, we talk with my friend, Andrew Pantazzi from the Florida Tributary. Andrew, thank you for coming on the show. I'm really excited to be here. So before we get into the show, Andrew, tell them a little bit about the Florida Tributary and and what you do and why you do it. Yeah, so the Tributary is a nonprofit investigative news organization I started Um, after leaving the Florida Times Union. And we're focused on doing deep dive reporting one topic at a time and not getting distracted from that topic. So for much of the last year, that topic has been redistricting. All right. So here we are. We're into this show. Why should people care about redistricting? Because if you care about any public policy, you care about redistricting, whether that's policing, schools, the environment, traffic, potholes, trash collection. There's no public policy issue that's not touched by who holds power. And who holds power, who gets elected, gets elected to these districts. And those are going to be your legislators and your city council members or your county commissioners. And that's going to be the people who make those decisions. So you can rig the game up front and decide who's going to hold all that power one way or the other. Or you can build a fair system that allows voters to to have a say in public policy. And yeah, somebody who works on the on the political side of this, your district means everything, right? Who's in your district? What type of people are in your district? But really, honestly, how many Democrats and Republicans are in your district, right? A district that's close means you have to work a lot harder to win. A lot of times what we see in Jacksonville, particularly in the state house races, and we'll get to kind of the state stuff a little bit. But once the once the primary is over, the election is technically over because the the seats are so gerrymandered, right? Yeah, especially in Jacksonville. That's that's been true. Um, and part of that is because of, you know, sometimes the the residential segregation we have, but a lot of it is also the gerrymandering where the vote that counts is in the primary, not on the general election. So we're going to talk about two different levels of, of, of redistricting in, the, in this episode. We're going to talk about the state redistricting that happened, and then we'll also talk about the Duval County redistricting. So let's first talk about the state redistricting. Uh, every Four, eight years, four years. How often do people do they do they redistrict these districts? So every ten years okay. after the census data comes out, um, it feels like more often because of court orders in Florida. Right, right, and, right. Uh, they don't do it the right way. Um, but yeah, every ten years, census counts every person in America, and then they ha- have to redraw to make sure that the districts are roughly equal in population. So you don't want one district that gets the same political power that is, you know, half the size of of another. So they try to make them about equal. And when they're doing that, that's when the political considerations, the racial considerations, neighborhood considerations start coming into play. So in Florida, the the legislators are the ones that really handle those districts, correct? But that didn't really happen as much this year. Why is that? Yeah. So First, like some of the background, we we did pass 10 years ago some reforms to the state constitution. Overwhelming majority, more than two thirds of voters supported what are called the Fair Districts Amendments. That put some barriers around how redistricting happens. And then the legislature in Tallahassee is responsible for three sets of redistricting. One is congressional redistricting, one is the state Senate, and one is the state House. 
So state Senate and state House, they push through and governor never objected. He also doesn't even get a veto over it. It just becomes law. Wow. When it came to the congressional redistricting, the Republicans this time around in leadership seemed really beaten down by last cycle. Last cycle, they had to give over lots of their information in discovery when they were sued and they lost the lawsuit mm-hmm. because they, they were engaged in gerrymandering. Mm-hmm. So this time they seemed really hesitant. They were trying really hard to avoid a lawsuit. They passed a plan, which actually had two versions of maps, one in case it gets struck down by the courts, then a backup plan. Um, after that happened, DeSantis had all along said he was going to veto it. And that was not an empty threat. He vetoed the plan and said, redraw. Okay. And the main issue he took with the map was in Jacksonville. Jacksonville has for 30 years now had a district that was created to ensure black voters can elect the candidate of their choice. And that was um, for a long time, Representative Corinne Brown, the first black Congress member in Florida since Reconstruction, along with two others, um, first elected in 92. And now we're facing an election this November, the first time for many people in their lifetime where there's not a district that allows black voters to elect their candidate. And, and, the, and, the, and the person that was over it now was Al Lawson, who mm-hmm. beat Corinne. Uh, and, and that district, describe that district a little bit. And then we'll talk about why there were some problems with it. Yeah. So a lot of redistricting law actually has been created from the courts based on Jacksonville because of this district. So when it was first created, you had a a version of the district that went from Jacksonville to Palaka and Orlando Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and I think parts of Daytona Beach, where it was picking up black communities all along North Central, Northeast Florida. Um, It's changed over time. The last time it got struck down by the Florida Supreme Court they redrew it to be Jacksonville to Tallahassee, right, which right. is kind of this uh, uh, black belt along the north northernmost part of the state where historically there were a lot of plantations and formerly enslaved people then continued to live there. And areas. generations later, there still are large black populations. And so it was connecting from Tallahassee and Gadsden County, um, just west of Tallahassee, all the way to Jacksonville. So let's talk about districts in a sense. And, and this is a good discussion for overall when people when 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 they're putting together districts, what are the kind of rules and kind of you know things that go along with creating a, a, a an election district? Yeah, so the the main rule that um, exists is that they have to be roughly equal in population. Okay. So when it comes to the congressional districts, it's literally equal. Every district is has the exact same. Um, this time, I think one district had to have one fewer or one more person. Um, to, to divide up the population, but okay. it's supposed to be exactly the same. Um, and then you want to make sure you're abiding by the U S constitution, which, which has rules that make it difficult to take race into account. Okay. You're not supposed to obsess about race, except if you have a compelling interest, a, a really good reason. And one of those really good reasons courts have found is complying with the voting rights act. So ever since the 1960s, we've had the voting rights act. And ever since the seventies, we've applied it, for redistricting to mean that you can't dilute minority groups voting power. Um, and that's why we we initially created this district in Jacksonville in the first place. Um, those protections have weakened over time. The Supreme Court has become more and more conservative and they've chipped away at a lot of the voting rights mm-hmm. that were protected in the law. But we still have them. And then in Florida, at the same time, the Supreme Court was chipping away at them. We kind of created our own Voting Rights Act which were these amendments that said we're recodifying the Voting Rights Act into our state constitution um, and we're adding in more protection. So it says in Florida, you can't favor or disfavor a political party. You can't try to say, hey, we're helping Republicans or hey, we're helping Democrats or vice versa. Like it also said you need to honor geographic boundaries. So those are things like roads, rivers, county borders, city borders, things like that. Um, And you must ensure you're not diluting minority voting power and you must ensure that you're not diminishing or, you know, reducing it from one cycle to the next. What's the difference between diluting uh, racial boundaries, but also making them based on race? What's the the, the, the crust of the difference there? Yeah. So dilution is a really strict standard okay. um, when it comes to the courts, the, the standard they, they've made, it's really difficult to meet. And in fact, we, Jacksonville would likely not meet the dilution standard anymore, Um, but diminishment is another standard. So this comes from, there there are two parts of the Voting Rights Act. One, 
is Section 5. And it's no longer in effect anywhere in the country except in Florida. Okay. Um, the Supreme Court had a big... Florida special, as always. Well, the Supreme Court struck um, another section of the law that dealt with how you apply Section 5. Okay. We then said, we're taking Section 5 and applying it to everywhere in Florida. It used to be you had this complex formula that determined certain counties, certain cities where it applied. For us, we said, we're going to apply it everywhere. everywhere. So this was a really progressive reform. And that diminishment standard is if you currently have a district that allows Black voters or Hispanic voters or Asian voters or some minority racial group to elect a candidate of their choice, you can't diminish that in the next cycle. You can't say, hey... This district, which can't be majority black anymore, um, but it's 45% black and that's enough. Mm -hmm. We're now going to make it 30%, which is what happened here. That's what happened with the the congressional district in Jacksonville was they took a district that used to allow black voters. And DeSantis said he doesn't think that Florida's rules, um, that the U.S. Supreme Court would uphold them, basically. So he's going to knowingly violate the, the law in hopes of overturning the law. And so and so basically DeSantis vetoed the, the maps that the legislators brought and then they had a special session, right? Mm-hmm. And what basically happened in that special session? So in that special session, they brought forward DeSantis's map that um, uh, his team drew and submitted and they approved it. And it was not without a lot of fighting right. by Jacksonville's own representative, mm-hmm. Angie Nixon, mm-hmm. leading this fight where they, they staged a sit-in in the chamber. Um, they were um, protesting, trying to stop this from passing, but it did eventually pass. Um, uh, that map was then struck down by a judge that DeSantis himself had appointed, um, but the Florida Supreme Court overturned him, um, saying it was inappropriate to, to use basically the legal maneuver that he did. Okay. Um, they didn't actually say that he was wrong on the law so much as he was wrong in the type of injunction that he, he used. And so where does it, the, is there a court case now? Where does it stand? So there's two court cases on that congressional map. One is in federal court um, and one is in state court. And those are still pending. There's not going to be a decision before this election. And there may not be a decision before the 2024 election. We, we don't know how long it'll take. Last decade, it wasn't until the sixth cycle. So not 2012, not 2014, but 2016 was the first cycle where they got new maps. So the current district in Jacksonville now, how is it different from the old district? So now the district is Duval, the west side of Duval, north side of Duval, basically following the St. John's River with a few crossing the river, Clay County and Nassau County. Clay and Nassau are overwhelmingly white. They're overwhelmingly Republican. And so adding that with the section of Jacksonville that is extremely overwhelmingly black and Democratic helps to ensure it's a, a Republican district. So basically, they, they they kept a lot of the black vote, but then they circled it with white vote, basically a Republican vote to ensure that they would drown out the black vote, but not diminish it to the extent that it would lose on one of those other tests, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. The the map that he actually vetoed also was very different from what we have now, which is the Jacksonville to, to Tallahassee. The map the legislature passed was they found a way to draw um, a large black population in Jacksonville alone without having to leave the city borders. It was just a, basically a circle mm-hmm. inside Jacksonville, very compact district. Um, that Do you know the number? How big? What's the number that the district need to be? Do you remember that number? So it, I mean, it depends because okay. you have to look at each election and okay. say, um, who who did black voters prefer in this election, or right. especially in primaries, uh-huh. um, and then you know, are they able to? So black voters vote overwhelmingly Democratic. Right. Right. Um, uh, that's true, but it even goes beyond that to if you have a district where it's you know uh, white democrats are basically deciding um this was an issue in orlando where they made val demings district another district that Mm -hmm. um it was it was created because of the the lawsuit last time where val demings was able to get elected to an orlando congressional district they made it more democratic which made it less accessible to black voters because by making it more democratic they actually added in white democrats um, and Hispanic Democrats and Asian Democrats, mm. it used to be about 50% of the Democratic primary turnout were Black voters, which means they're getting to choose who the candidate yeah, is, right. and it's a Democratic seat, so right. they get their candidate. Now, it, it's a bit harder. And that one, that seat now was won by Frost, right? And yeah. So 
interesting. It still became a he's an Afro Latino, yeah. Uh, so it still it still stays with with an with with an African American, but it's you know it's a little bit of a different seat now, right? Well, well, what's interesting is if you look at the map down there of the primary votes, um, the blackest parts of the district were supporting Bracey. Okay, um, he um, Maxwell Frost was not necessarily the candidate supported by the place with the most black voters. Got he it. was supported by the youngest voters, mm-hmm. um, uh, especially. And he had a lot of crossover vote. Being Afro-Latino probably helped with getting a lot more of the Hispanic vote um, uh, and getting enough of the black vote. It's not like nobody voted for him. But also our friend Corrine was in that race as well. (laughs) Corrine, who fought very hard against that district ever being made. She said that district was was bad. And so she was in that race. She didn't do well, though. She didn't do well, though. And so but ultimately, DeSantis' decision basically took away two black seats in Florida, right? I mean, that's the end result at this point, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I um, hope that Maxwell Frost will listen to the black voters in his district, right. um, but it definitely makes it, uh, especially for Jacksonville, which uh, Jacksonville is one of the largest blackest cities in America. And, and people often don't realize that, mm-hmm. like just how large our black population mm-hmm. is. And the reason people usually don't realize it, that we have a larger share of black residents than Chicago or New York City or wow. plenty of other places, Indianapolis, is partly because of the lack of political power. Right. That right. in Jacksonville, when you're taking away political power from black voters, that really serves to to take them out of public society, to take them away from the decision making. And it's harder for those neighborhoods and those residents to get what they need. So and that's a good segue into what our next thing of redistricting we're going to talk about is Jacksonville, right? I think it's so I love that you said that, because if you look at the history of Jacksonville, we've had one black mayor. Right. Uh, and we and, and technically, you know, this, the, the seats have been reserved for four or five different seats have been black. And we have a little bit of a difference now because of some of the at large seats. But let's talk about what's happening in Jacksonville, particularly in redistricting. There's a lot to get into here. But let's start in the let's let's start from the beginning. Similar to the state, right? There, there. We were redistricting here, right? And the yeah. process is how is the process similar or different from the state? Yeah, I mean, while state redistricting can be really fraught and really political, um, I think just if people are paying attention to what's happened in Los Angeles, where mm-hmm. the city council president recently resigned, mm-hmm. and a bunch of others were involved in these extremely racist conversations, right. where each of the politicians were Latino, they were making fun of those of indigenous descent, Jewish people, Armenian people, black people, basically anybody um, who belongs to any race was getting made fun of by right. these people. Right. And, and that was a redistricting meeting. Right. That was them figuring out how they could um, control, power. yeah, control demographic, uh, demographic power. And similarly, you see this in local redistricting across the country. When it comes to city council, you can do a lot more damage. So in Jacksonville, we also redistrict every 10 years. And like you said, Ever since consolidation, we've had certain districts that were drawn specifically to allow black voters Mm -hmm. to have the ability to elect their candidates. But it was always done off of gut feelings um, and how it's changed over time, especially starting in 1991, where there was this misinformation. There there was a theory that was going around that uh, they latched onto, which said these districts need to be about 65 percent black in order to be appropriate districts. And we, we're going to do some math on this episode, which is not my strong suit, but it looks, it seems to me, right, in an election where you need to win by 51%, right, 65% black is more than, way more than necessary needed to order to have a black candidate in that race, right? In Jacksonville in 1982, Arnett Girardeau, a, a dentist in Jacksonville, got elected to a state Senate seat that was not even black majority. Um, and then- Following him was Betty Holzendorf, who got elected to the same seat when it was 44 percent black in 1992. At the same time that we have black uh, candidates winning at 44, 45 percent black seats, city council saying, no, we need to be 65 percent. And by by making those 65 percent, the the harm it does is all the other districts in a city where about one in three voters is black. Most of those voters are in just four out of 19 districts. And so when it comes to what influence you have on the city council as a whole, hey, most of city council, an overwhelming majority, a super majority can ignore black voters mm-hmm. and never have any consequences. Right. For it. Um, and redistricting is about power. 
Let's be honest. It's, it's, it's about how do you keep power, right? In our city, Republicans have had the power for the long, for the last, you know, 10 to 15 years. And they have more seats uh, on the city council. And, 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 and redistricting is a way to conserve that, right? Uh, let's talk about the process here in Jacksonville redistricting. We'll get into kind of the meetings they have similar to others, similar to state. They have these redistricting meetings, right? Yeah. Talk about a little bit about how those go and how that works here. Yeah. So here, um, you have a lot of white politicians who are uncomfortable with conversations about race. Okay. And so the way they get around that is they basically cut the redistricting process in half. Okay. And they said the South and East districts, which are very much white, mm -hmm. they will meet separately and they will do redistricting. Okay. The North and West districts, which are very much where black residents mm -hmm. live, they will meet separately. Got and it. so those meetings were largely led by Brenda Priestley Jackson, mm -hmm. a, a councilwoman for district 10. Mm -hmm. And at those meetings, you know, you had someone like Jacoby Pittman, um, uh, who is in one of the very much overwhelmingly black, uh, districts saying she's not comfortable going below her current percentage, which was 70% black district, 68% voting black voting age population. And she says, I'm not willing to go below 68. And here's my, here's my kind of issue right there off the top. Why are they getting to decide what their district is like, right? Why do you get to go and say, I'm not going to sign off on that? I'm gonna, like, why is that the process here? So when we did consolidation, when Duval County and Jacksonville merged, actually, we had an independent process for right. redistricting. Right. And that went away because they, they got rid of the planning board that was doing it. Mm -hmm. It was just one of many tasks they had. And when they got rid of the planning board, it looks like nobody actually thought about redistricting. And so it's mm -hmm. like, oh, well, I guess city council will do it now. Um, and so when you trust politicians, like we talk about power, a lot of this is just selfishness, uh, incompetence, or laziness. Like it's a lot of times it's saying, I want to protect myself. So I'm going to draw a district for myself to protect myself. Um, even if that hurts, like, cause in this case, since it's mostly the black Democrats on city council mm -hmm. who are doing it, I don't think they're doing it with a malintent where they say, I want to hurt black voters in Jacksonville. Right. I think it's a, Hey, this is my district. It worked for me. Right. So I want to keep this the way it is. Well, here's the thing that was also kind of weird about it. Some, a lot of these people were terming out, right? Yeah. That's what, that's what made this so kind of weird to me. And so it didn't make sense. Like a lot of these people were terming out. Garrett Dennis, who was on there before, was terming out. Like some of these people that had these issues with their seats and didn't want to exchange stuff with their seats, they were terming out. They weren't even going to be eligible to vote, so, right? So, so these seven districts are Al Ferraro, a white Republican who is running for mayor and not mm -hmm. running for re-election. Mm -hmm. uh, Randy DeFore, a white Republican who is not running for re-election. Mm -hmm. um, Garrett Dennis, who had already put in a resignation and was running for state house. Mm -hmm. Uh, Brenda Priestley Jackson, who is running at large, not for her district again. Um, Reggie Gaffney, who also put in a resignation and was running for state Senate. And then the only two running for reelection were Jacoby Pittman and Randy White. Yet they put on every map where their house was and said, we must protect this for the incumbent. Right. Even though the incumbent in many cases legally is not able to run for reelection, which is where... Um, the skeptical hat comes on and it's like, why are they really doing this? And it's, hey, here's a way to gerrymander. Here's right. a way to draw districts that pack in black voters. And weren't there some kind of rules about incumbents? Like, were they, they weren't supposed to really favor incumbents or were they not? So when it comes to the state in Tallahassee, they're not allowed okay. to, to consider incumbency at all. But in Jacksonville, they do um, very overwhelmingly say like, hey, we want to protect all the incumbents. We want to protect our own. Um, it's such a, it's such a process that is, is, that is wrought to, to go bad, right? Yeah. You're asking the people that are elected to pick their own seats, right? Or to make their seats as favorable for themselves as possible. Or in some cases when they're leaving the seat, maybe their person, their next person that they want to, to have in that seat. It just doesn't seem like overall, that's a system that you want to have. No. Right? And other systems are different. I mean, uh, in, uh, Austin, Texas, for example, when they do their local redistricting, they have an independent panel, which the city council and the mayor don't even get to choose who sits on that independent panel that handles all of redistricting. Instead, they have it written into their, their charter where it's you apply and then they have an accounting firm that 
goes through the list of people and does basically a lottery. They, they winnow mm-hmm. it down to, are you qualified for the job of right. doing redistricting? And then they pick at random. And that's worked really well for them, it mm. seems. Um, a lot of other places, Orlando um, and uh, uh, St. Petersburg have independent panels in Florida. Um, Tampa lets their planning board do redistricting. Other places don't rely on political officials to be at their best. And then other places, Stark, um, you know, uh, just outside of Jacksonville, home to, you know, Florida prisons. Yeah. Stark also faced um, a challenge from the ACLU of Florida and the NAACP. And when they did, they said, let's settle. And they did. They settled yeah. with the yeah. civil rights groups to say, here, we'll accept the map that the plaintiffs have drawn, that right. these civil rights groups have drawn. And so they allowed the NAACP of Bradford County to basically draw their new maps and they accepted them. Yet Jacksonville, um, and specifically, not just Jacksonville, but specifically the four Black City Council members in those four districts were had a very different response. When the NAACP approached them here, they responded very angrily and very upset, especially Brenda Priestley Jackson. So even, so let's go back. So they have these meetings, they have these meetings, right? And you went to all of the meetings. You were. This is why I have you on here for this, because you followed this along the way. What were some of the issues that were brought up during the meetings that you felt were incorrectly brought up? Uh, there were so many. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is where, I mean, some of it is incompetence. Right. Um, so, I mean, the way they defined race was wrong. Right. Um, what matters is if someone identifies as black, um, but they only counted someone if they were uh, black alone. Um, and not in combination. So if you mark on the census, because they don't ask, are you biracial or multiracial? They ask, what race are you? And you can mark as many as you want. And if you say you're black and Asian or black and white, um, they were not marking you as black, Uh, even though the federal government and the department of justice says says you should do that. So that was, that was number one. Number two, they got a legal memo from city lawyers that was rife with errors in it. They, they misquoted court opinions, Mm -hmm. um, figuring out what the process was, like, how do you take race into consideration? Um, they claimed that the term of art was communities of interest and that you don't say minority access groups anymore. That's not generally what communities of interest means that that doesn't mean uh, a whole district. Um, and they means communities that it it, it, it can mean race. uh Um, but it, they were saying it to mean we have four communities of interest, the four districts. And it's like, no, those are those are districts. The communities of interest might be Grand Park, the right, neighborhood. Right. Um, it might well, be. Well, the districts are just lines that you guys have drawn. That doesn't make them exactly yeah. right. Um there there were just repeatedly things like that. And another one was um, so Garrett Dennis led the first committee on redistricting. And he said this, Reggie Gaffney said this, and Randy DeFore said this at various times where you know, the question would be raised, why don't you scrap the map and start from scratch? And they would say, oh, well, because the census was released so late, we've got a tight deadline. They did not have a tight deadline. They had the same amount of time they would have had any other decade. They had nine months to do it, um, just as it says in the charter. But they were repeatedly saying that's not, that they had some tight deadline that they made up. And, and really, they and really, I think Garrett had gone on record basically saying he wanted to keep the maps as close as possible to how they originally were. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. I, he, I, he expressed skepticism or, or concern that it would become worse. And so let's just accept the way it is now, um, which I think underplayed how bad the council maps have been for decades. Well, and let's talk about what that means by worse, right? I think... One of the things that was what's coming up, and this ended up being one of the topics of the conversation, was it, particularly Black Democratic power in the mm. city, right? Meaning, if you confine them to these four districts, then they really only have this much power. But if you allow them to vote in maybe some other districts, you have to pay attention to them a little bit more. And what was happening is, is two things. They wanted Black elected officials, mm-hmm. but they also... We're not thinking about overall getting more Democratic support in the city, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe more Democratic seats, right? Mm-hmm. That may lead to other things. But for some reason, their definition of worse was possibly not having a Black elected official in these one in these four places, right? Is that kind of what they were thinking? or I, I think that there were probably conspiracy theories that like people just had right. uh, where it's like, oh, you know, what if they draw a Republican gerrymander, right. to which I... I, I have a hard time with because it's already like it it's both a racial gerrymander but it also is a gerrymander that benefits republicans 
Um, but they seem- the current system right now benefits Republicans. Yeah, and it, the system before that did too. Right. Yeah. It's a, in a in a good year, you're going to get five out of 19 council members being Democrats. Right. Um, and in a not good year, you're going to have four right. um, out of 19. Um, and that's the system. Um, instead of trying to say, let's ask, like, what would fair districts look like? Because one aspect is the policy, like it's who has power over broad county policy, things like Confederate monuments, mm-hmm. things like, you know, uh, uh, housing and streets and infrastructure and the environment. The other is neighborhood level issues. So what this district, what the district map does, which if you if you get a chance to look at how crazy these things snake around, you've got a district, District 10 goes all the way from past 103rd to Collins Road on the south end to the Trout River. So you are talking from one end of the county to the other, basically. And a lot of those neighborhoods get sliced and diced. Mm-hmm. And people in those neighborhoods will say, you know, hey, I live in Grand Park. There's three council members for Grand Park. I can't even meet with my three council members right. because that would violate open meetings. Right, right. They have to notice a meeting if all three are going to be there. And, you know, you have people in Sherwood Forest saying we've got two council members here and neither of them pay attention to us. Right. And if you're an organizer or or an activist and you're saying, I want people to care about Myrtle Avenue, mm-hmm. what can you do when you you're don't like, have if, a direct if, person to, to go to, right? Well, it, let's assume you got every single voter in your neighborhood to raise their voice. Okay, well, that's split among three districts. Right. So, hey, that's a very small number in each of those districts. Instead of if it was all in one district, hey, we can vote you out next election unless you listen to us. And now you have an incentive to listen. You don't have these problems on the South side where the the white majority districts are much more compact and they right. respect neighborhood lines. Right. If you're in San Marco, you know, you're in one district. Right. If, if you're in Mandarin, you're in one district. one district. You know, it's a it's a different ball game over there for neighborhoods getting the, the love and attention they want from the city. So they had these initial meetings and then they took these meetings to the public. Right. Yeah. And, and what was the response when they took these meetings to the public? The first meeting was Ed White, and you had a, a ton of people come out, um, every one of them criticizing the maps, saying they're racial gerrymanders. And just stop right there, because let me tell you something about community meetings. A lot of times they're not well attended. No. Right? A lot of times people don't care, right? But it, in this particular case, it was not the case, right? Yeah, no, they ran out of time at all four meetings. Mm-hmm. It was... Uh, more people wanted to speak and they had to cut them off um, at uh, each meeting they had. Um, and to put that in comparison, in Tallahassee, there was not more than, I would say, six or seven public commenters before the governor vetoed. Like the the first map that was approved by the legislature, mm-hmm. nobody was speaking about. Mm-hmm. In Jacksonville, people were paying attention. You had rains. The auditorium was completely full and people lining up to speak. And the response to that was after the Reigns meeting, um, Brenda Priestley Jackson, who was leading the rules committee, says there was not a single person from District 7, 8, 9, or 10 who spoke out, which is a, a ridiculous assertion. Right? I mean, the, the meetings in the middle of those in the middle of those places. Right. Yeah. And you've got the NAACP Jacksonville branch. You've got the ACLU of Florida Northeast. Um, you've got uh, Rosemary McCoy with the Harriet Tubman Freedom Fighters. You've got prominent civil rights groups that are reaching out. They sent a letter to city council saying, we don't want to sue you. Mm -hmm. We think you can fix this. Here's how you can fix it. And instead city council got really huffy and was just like, they're wrong. We're going to win this lawsuit if they sue us. Well, and not just, and so, so they had these public meetings, people were complaining, nothing happened. They didn't change anything. Not one thing. Not one thing. And not only did people complain, some of the state legislators complained, Tracy Davis, Angie Nixon, all of those people complained, right? about about these maps right and 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 so but none of that mattered right Mm-mm. none of that mattered and they what what did they do they passed the maps right yeah. and then what happened after that well so then after they passed the maps which they they said we feel completely confident this will stand up no court will overturn it um 100 confident was what city council president sam newby said mm-hmm. Then the plaintiff sued and they they won their suit and a court struck it down. A court said that the city council had segregated by race the city of Jacksonville and that it violated the U.S. Constitution. All the things that the city council was warned would happen is what happened. And the thing that was I mean, there were so many things remarkable. It's a 150 page order. Mm-hmm. But Judge Howard says in there. What, and Judge Howard is not some liberal judge. 
No, what? no. She she's uh, of the three judges we have in Jacksonville. She's probably the most conservative. She was appointed by George W. Bush right. um, in 2007. Um, but she says in there, um, one of the things that was most remarkable to her was how many people spoke out against the maps and city council didn't make even one change, didn't even propose a change and then vote not to do it. They just completely ignored that when people in this city speak up, the city council doesn't listen to them. And that's part of the effects of the gerrymandering mm-hmm. in the first place. These people were elected to gerrymandered districts. They are not used to people coming out and feeling like they will have any consequences if they don't do what people say. And so being smacked down by the court, regardless of the law, regardless of what's legal or not, which the court found it was illegal, there's also just the moral aspect. Right, what the right. court laid out in its order was really a, a damnation of what city council members have done in Jacksonville to ignore and hurt black voting power in Jacksonville. Well, and, and, and one of the things I read the order, and one of the things she did in that order was she was really pulling out comments of city council people from those meetings, right? Like yeah. she she used that, she used tweets. Yeah. She used tweets and 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 from from city council people. She, I mean, she was very much saying, like, you're saying it in your face that you're doing things that are illegal. Right. I mean, that's really what she was doing. Right. Yeah. I mean, there was a shamelessness where overtly, explicitly, repeatedly city council members said, we're doing this because of race. And then when they got to court, they said, oh, we were never doing it because of race. And it's not a good idea to lie to a judge. I mean, it is not a good idea to say one thing in public and then later say, oh, that's not true. I I, I was never considering race. Yeah. I mean, the city's attorneys weren't really didn't really do a good job here because they a gave them bad advice on the on the on the for, forefront, right? And then when they went to court, they got demolished, really, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was. Um, I mean, the ruling is really stunning, especially coming from Judge Howard. Right. Um, and it's a, it's something that you would hope the response to a ruling like this would be City Council saying we apologize for the way things have gone, and we would like to settle, and we'll accept. Like we want to talk to the community about what the community wants, but that's not what happened. Instead, <laughs> the city council hired the same lawyer who is representing Governor DeSantis right. in the congressional redistricting, very conservative lawyer, Mo Jazeel, to a very expensive um, lawyer, and said, we're going to fight this and we're going to appeal. And so they, they have filed their appeal. And so the and the plaintiffs on the lawsuit for the city were those civil rights groups that you were talking about, correct? Uh, you know, and so what, what was even interesting is it like, from every step of the way, you could see that people were against these maps, right? Yeah. Because they knew that it would give them less power over the city, right? And it would keep the power in the few, you know, council people that had it, right? Yeah. And so, so, but so the city had this ruling against them, and they have what's called a shade meeting, which is basically the shade meeting is not open to the public, right? Yeah. Where they meet with their lawyers to talk about you know, the legal, like what, what legally they think is possible. Right. And true to the form, they came out of that shade meeting saying, Hey, we still think we're going to win and we're going to go and, 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 and appeal it. Right. And like you said, hired this expensive lawyer, wasting tax monies, but at the same time now they're also going to still try to meet the deadline of the initial ruling, right? Yeah. So they formed a new redistricting committee. Um, there are no citizens who are not in mm-hmm. elected office on the committee. And instead, it's six Republicans and one Democrat who was initially appointed by a Republican governor. Right. Um, right. Jacoby, right? Yeah. And so that's what the redistricting committee will look like. The schedule they've given for the committee is, is quite odd. They meet tomorrow um, and then they meet like three days in a row. Um, just before the deadline, which to me, that looks like they're asking someone else to draw the map for them. Mm-hmm. That like they're not meeting for long periods of time. And so they'll probably meet and then they'll have someone else, maybe DeSantis's lawyers, redraw the maps for them. Um, and then they'll submit them to the court. The, the voting rights groups will get to object and say, hey, we object for whatever reasons. And then here's the maps we like most that we think the court should put in. And then the court can choose. Is there a link or anything to the maps? Well, they haven't. Did the, did the groups give maps before that they thought they liked? 
those groups? No, okay. they, 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 um, they didn't. If they did, it would have been in private okay. settlement discussions with the city, but okay. they have not. Um, but I, it, it's very easy to redraw these maps so that you don't have so many black voters packed into so few districts and have them be much more compact and much more responsive to, to neighborhood boundaries. Um, and I'll post a link in the show link to the current maps, right? And I'll try to find the maps that they uh, decided to use as well so that people can see the difference and how gerrymandered they are. Yeah. <clears throat> and I mean, I'll say this is an issue in Jacksonville and it's been an issue for decades, but it's an issue in every community. And if if you're not hearing about it, that probably means your community elected officials are doing this in quiet right. and like you don't realize how big an issue is. So ideally, though, you know, they're, they're going to go back. They're not going to use the same maps. Um, Presumably, I mean, <clears throat> we hope not. Um, but. Ideally, what you would think, they're going to listen to the people, but they haven't done that so far in the process, right? No. And again, they, they didn't invite you know any community members who've been outspoken on this onto the committee. It's it's still just the elected officials. And the elected officials they chose is, is bizarre. Like the districts that are at play here are all north side, west side districts. And they only put two people from uh, those districts on the committee. Um and really what happens now is, you know, the public is, it, it, it takes a backseat, right? To, to everyone who's, who's, who's been in this process and they have to wait for them to propose these maps. Then they get to object them. Right. But they being the starting, they get the, that's, there's a power in being able to start and make your own maps and then have people object as opposed to working together as a group and collaborating on the original map. Right? Yeah. And what I would say, like, there's a very encouraging aspect of this story, which is Judge Howard took into consideration very deeply the public comments people made. So people were active, people were outraged, and they said, we're going to do something about it. We're going to come to meetings, and we're going to speak. And she took that into consideration. So if people like or dislike what city council is doing now, that, to me, that would be an encouragement. Keep right. up the activism, you know, keep, keep showing up. And also, you can try to draw your own maps. I, I use an app called Dave's Redistricting app. You mm-hmm. can just Google that, mm-hmm. Dave's Redistricting app. It's a free app online where you can draw districts and you can try to draw you know, the what you think Jacksonville City Council districts will look like. And if you go to our website, um, I don't know when this will publish, mm-hmm. but in a few days, we plan to publish a tutorial on here's how you can draw and submit your own maps to the so, city council. So I'll give you an opportunity and it's a little bit tough of audio, but try to describe what you think the best map for Jacksonville would look like for you. I mean, I know you've done it, but and hopefully by then we'll link it to 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 this to these show notes. But you know, what is what would you say? What would you like if you were going in and you had your say? How would you do this? So I would say start by recognizing where neighborhoods are, and then what neighborhoods are closely linked together. Um, you know, uh, for decades, Murray Hill has not been connected to Riverside and Avondale because Murray Hill is split in half along racial lines. Mm. Put Murray Hill in with Riverside and Avondale. I would probably make an urban core district that goes all the way from Riverside, Avondale, Murray Hill through Brooklyn, probably um, pick up Mixontown um, and go up to Springfield, um, East Side, Brentwood. And that would be your kind of downtown district. Mm-hmm. Um, I think then the same would go for like the West side where rather than right now we have one district that looks like a seahorse mm-hmm. that goes from one end of the County to the other, another one that looks like an amoeba with a, an appendage sticking mm-hmm. out of it. Instead draw more circular districts that would be Ortega NAS Jacks. Um, and, you know, really, I mean, and going back to the term, keep communities of interest together. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it makes sense to have, uh, you're, you're a person that if you live in Ortega and you live in Riverside, you have one council person that can say, hey, Riverside Avenue runs right through here. Yeah. I have an issue with Riverside Avenue, you know, yeah. instead of saying or 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 what people do complain about is odor. Right. You know, and that's something where, you know, Riverside talks about it, but also Murray Hill talks right. about the odor over here because there's a fragrance factory in the area. Exactly. And so it gives people migraines like having that ability to speak to one council member about your issues you're going through. So it would be the same for everything. And you would be able to still draw where you would have at least four districts that black voters have the ability to elect their, their preferred candidates, but it wouldn't be 70% black districts. They would probably be more like 
45 or 50 percent black. And, that, and we'll, let's talk, touch on that point. And then I want to talk on also the compactness point as well. But I think what what is interesting is, you know, the assumption that you need a 60 percent black um, district in order to elect a black official. Right. It's completely off. Right. Yeah. You could do it with much less. You could do it with even 30 to 35, 40 percent because the rest of the votes are still going to be Democratic. Right. You're giving them an opportunity to get those votes, right? Or, I mean, what is your thoughts on that on that number issue, which keeps seeming to come up? Yeah, so I mean, the you're it, it doesn't do anybody any favors other than you know, uh, I guess racists who would want to keep black people out of power right. to say let's arbitrarily put too many black voters intentionally into this district that is a tortured shape. Right. Um, it would be one thing if you were saying we're drawing a compact district and it happens to be this high. But that's not what's happening here. It's they're not drawing compact districts and hey, due to residential segregation, this happens to be right, really high. Right, this is right. you're trying to make this as high as possible, and you've got a claw-shaped, you know, end to your district. Um, instead, if you say what is needed so that black voters are not like black voters due to historic discrimination that continues to this day, they do need to have certain protections. And so creating districts that honor those protections without going beyond them so that you have in the range of 45%. I mean, that I use that number because that's what our congressional district was. Right, and that right. was, that was fine. Right. Um, being able to stay at that level. Now you've got more compact districts to honor the neighborhoods and you probably have a fifth or a sixth district on the North side, West side. That is not a district that maybe is always won by black voters right. preferred candidate, but it's winnable. Right. It now means you're not boxed into you're in these districts, you get a black right. council member. You're in these districts, you, you get can't. a white one. Right. Well, then, and then the, uh, let's talk about compactness here, and particularly in this city with the river. You know, from the political side of it, you know, a compact district in a lot of ways is a more equitable district to every type of candidate. Meaning, if I have a district where I have to cross the river, if I have a district where I have to, it sprawls all up and down. It costs more money to cover it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's harder to cover a, a, a compact district, right? So, yeah. I mean, so you think about like how you do campaigning or petitioning, where it's like if you're trying to get petitions in your district and you have a compact district, and say you've got a district that includes Moncrief, it's like real simple. You got to go to one football game a year, and you've right. got all your petitions exactly. done just by going to the Northwest Classic. Right now, you do that, and it's like okay, well, there's like a bunch of districts that are slicing up you know, the area around range. Exactly. And um, it, it makes it easier as a candidate to say, I'm here to represent Grand Park. Right mm-hmm. now, nobody's running on a campaign of like, right. I'm going to represent Grand Park exactly. because that's not the main part of any district. And I think like one of the, the river is a huge thing, right? Like if you're if you're canvassing on one side, then you now have to cross the river and canvas on that side. It changes what you're able to do and what you can't do, you yeah. know? And I think that's the thing that I, when I look at, what makes districts fair. And to me, yeah. a fair district is a district that anyone can run. And you know, regardless of how much money you have, have an opportunity. There's a huge difference yeah. between a district race and a citywide race because of that, right? A district race, you can knock on doors, you can confine yourself to an area, you can outwork people, you know? That's my advice for new people that are running. Run in a district race, right? Yeah. Get out there and work. The bigger seats, citywide seats, are about TV money and about you know, about name rep and all of those things that already happened. But in the district race, if the district is compact and fair, you have an opportunity, right? Yeah, I think what we see with these really weirdly shaped districts is very bizarre election results, right. too. Um, you've probably seen it where mm-hmm. candidates who spend no money, do no work, show up to no forums, end up like coming in second. Right. And it's like, right. why? And it's like, because even the candidate who was doing a ton of work, that work was not very effective because it's hard to do work when you've got a district that stretches from one end of the county to the other. Exactly. And again, when you're talking about what you're running on and your platform is like, yeah, that amoeba that stretches from here to there, I'm going to make sure we have good parks along that amoeba. Like, no, it's people want to know what's going to happen for their neighborhood. And you're only going to be one of a few who represents their neighborhood. And, and that's what this is about. I mean, Want to just end this with any predictions that you see here? I mean, um, I think that uh, now that the city council has hired outside law firm, that they will do probably a much better job. Right. Um, 
Uh, we'll have to wait and see what the federal courts, you know, which have been moving um, in directions that, that tend to rule against um, civil rights groups, um, what they will do. Um, but I think that the city council here engaged in some of the most egregious racial gerrymandering anywhere in the country. And I have a hard time seeing even the U.S. Supreme Court being willing to allow it to stand. Um, uh, it's possible, um, but uh, I think it's it's really um, uh, an immoral sin on many of the people who are involved that they have um, disenfranchised black voters the way that they have. Yeah, and redistricting, just to close here, redistricting has always been about power, preserving power, giving power to different groups, recognizing different groups that are moving in and giving them power as well. And what we're seeing in Jacksonville, in my opinion, is that we're trying to preserve the power for the people that have already had it, right? But the city has changed so much over the last 10 years, it's, it seems unrealistic to try to want to keep these districts the same, right? Yeah. If you are listening and you want to be involved, you need to go out and do what Andrew said and be a part of this process. That was an, one of the things that I thought was the most enlightened part of, of Judge Howard's response was that she listened to the people Mm-hmm. That came in and made comments about this. She she did what city council should have done. Like, and, and and they didn't do that. And I think if you are concerned about the way this city is going, right? If you're concerned about, like you said, any type of policy, where it's land use, whether it's, you know, having a city that maybe we decriminalize marijuana or having a city where we can do some, some different things for, for our, our, our unhoused population, Redistricting is the start of all of that, right? Yeah. It's the beginning of all of that. Having a certain more people in office that agree with where the city's going can change this city and allow us to do some things, not only just on a policy, but budget, right? Where our priorities all come from where these where our districts come from. And so, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on Why You Should Care. I always love having you on. People, please go and, and look at the Florida Tributary. Also become a member and donate. And thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Obi. And, th- and that's jackstrib.org for, for anybody yep. looking for the website. That's J-A-X-T-R-I-B.org. Um, and I really appreciate you, Obi. And Where can people this. find you as well online? Um, I'm on Twitter. Um, uh, uh, far too much. Mm-hmm. It's it's, it's uh, uh, bad for my mental health. But if you <laughs> want to help contribute to uh, to me being way too online, uh, you can find me at A Pantazzi on Twitter. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate it. All right.